Hello and welcome to Who Are You, a Babylon 5 watchcast hosted by two former strangers, now friends, who normally would be rewatching one of the favorite shows from their childhood, Babylon 5, but we're taking a movie break. I'm Jafar. And I'm Laura. And today we're going to be watching Atlantis, The Lost Empire for our movie break. It was a nice, light, fluffy, delightful movie break. It was nice to take a, a movie break. I had never seen this before. Yeah. I was shocked to find it was critically panned. It's sitting at like a 54% on Metacritic right now. Oh, okay. I guess, okay. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> critically panned, um, but. But still, hey, it did win in 2002 the DVD exclusive awards. It was a nominee for Best Original Retrospective Documentary, and it did win the uh, 2002 Golden Reel Award for Best Sound Editing for an Animated Feature Film. So, okay. yeah. good on you, Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not a bad as, movie. Oh uh, No, no, it was not bad. It was for sure not bad. I've definitely watched way worse movies for this podcast. You're the most hideous fucking chud I've ever met. Check your basement and your bathroom. (laughs) Indeed. Yeah, no, this is a a movie that is a particular point in time, I think, for animation, right? Mm -hmm. We were coming out of that 90s era of Disney animation and trying to figure out what came next. And we have that, you know, some CGI, some traditional animation Mm -hmm. in this movie. It really reminded me of another one that I think is also critically panned, Titan A.E. Do you remember that movie? I do remember Titan A.E. Yeah. Um, Also, Iron Giant, I feel like, was around the same Mm. time. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And it's that same style. Mm -hmm. So Mike uh, Mignola, who's the guy who created Hellboy, uh, Mm -hmm. was like in charge of the visual direction of the movie, um, which is why it's very comic book-y. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the monsters in particular and vehicles definitely have his kind of art style to them. Yeah. Yeah. But we're watching this like we do for our normal movie breaks. If you haven't listened to one of these yet, because there is some crossover with Babylon five this time, particularly in the acting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Helga, who is the number two to the captain that we'll meet is played by Claudia Christian. Uh, Do you think she was typecast at all in this role? I was like, there were moments where I'm like, they just took a line that she already recorded from Babylon 5. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, there, it starts out and she's got that kind of femme fatale, like vaguely European accent doing her mm-hmm. sexy thing, sounds a little different. And then there are moments later where it's like, that is Susan Ivanova. <laughs> that is not Helga. Yeah. Uh, Phil Morris is Dr. Sweet. And mm-hmm. we just saw him. He was Bill Trainer in season three, Severed Dreams, which was episode yeah. 10. So yeah. just two episodes ago, we were talking about him. A very familiar voice, too. Yeah. There's a little bit of Star Trek crossover here, too, besides Phil Morris. Um, mm-hmm. There's a couple bit parts here and there. But the big one is Leonard Nimoy is our Atlantean king. Mm-hmm. So we've got that to look forward to. And then uh, speaking of Star Trek, the guy who made Klingon is the guy who made the Atlantean language for this movie. Oh, how fun. So I read a little bit about the creation process of those two languages. Mm -hmm. Uh, Klingon was definitely aimed at something completely foreign, very alien sounding uh, versus Atlantean. And they they call it a root language in the film where like all Mm -hmm. language comes from Atlantean. It's actually mostly Proto-Indo-European 
with some Hebrew, some Latin, some Greek, and some Sumerian. So I'm using air quotes when we talk about root language and all known <laughs> yeah. languages, because it's definitely just Europe. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and even more specifically, Western Europe. But mm. <laughs> hey, they, it does go out a little bit farther with, you know, we get the Sumerian, which is nice. But to call it a root language of all known languages is to pretend like Asia, mm. Africa, <laughs> and the Americas did not have language. Right. Which it's is a just very... rude and racist. Not in that order, actually. In the other <laughs> order. It's racist and then rude. Yeah, it's very fantastical to pretend that there's this idea that there could be a root language of, of yeah. all languages, but yeah, not not so much. <laughs> mm-hmm. We get a little bit of that in Battlestar Galactica as well, Ooh, actually. Uh, but I'm not going to say that. anything more about that, and you're going to completely forget about it. And then in like eight years, I'm going to bring it up on a po- episode of podcast. You'll be like, It'll be great. damn. <laughs> <laughs> or however long it takes us to get there. Call back to our previous podcast. It'll be fun. Yeah. So this movie opens very dramatically we've got big waves we've got these mechanical flying sharks Mm -hmm. we've got subtitles we've got alien abductions we've got pixelated special effects and hey it's not a disney movie without some matricide Uh (laughs) it's classic disney trope gotta Uh, do it mommy's gotta sacrifice herself this time to save the entire city oh yeah I, i don't know what it is about disney I don't know if I've mentioned this on pod or not. I did not grow up with Disney movies. Okay, I have okay. no nostalgia for them. I saw a couple in like grade school as like a, oh, teacher's mm-hmm. sick. Sub doesn't know what to do. We're watching Beauty and the Beast kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. But at home, Disney movies were liberal propaganda and not allowed in the house. No. Seriously? Oh, yes. Seriously. Oh. Oh, that got even sadder. I mean, I was a little sad when, you know, you said you didn't have much Disney. Not that I was, I wasn't really like a Disney kid, but I had the standard ones mm-hmm. that you have in the 90s, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It didn't, I'm sorry. it picked up later. It, like my s- super early childhood, I went to Disney World in like 1991, maybe 1992. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, but sometime after that, it became a problem. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. anyways yeah i don't have a lot of nostalgia for any of these things i had a friend in college who like when they found out she was just like i'm making a point of making sure you see like almost every disney film so i've seen most of them now but Mm -hmm. at least as far as the classic animated ones are concerned i didn't keep up for the last 15 years or whatever it's been yeah anyways We move forward in time a great number of years, we find out later, to the year 1914, which is the year World War I started, about halfway through the year. Oh, yeah. Indeed. And uh, Marty McFly wants the government suits to give him some money to find Atlantis, is the scene that we're kind of presented. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Michael J. Fox is Milo. Mm -hmm. He's presenting. Yeah. And then we find out, like like you said, we think. (laughs) Yeah, we uh, find out that he's doing his stuff. presentation in the boiler. So while he's going through the spiel, a note comes down one of those bank vacuum tubes and tells yeah. him that his meeting had been moved up an hour, which mm-hmm. put it 45 minutes ago. And then he immediately mm-hmm. gets another one saying that he was so late that they rejected his proposal and gave him a little bit of shade for his unprofessionality. 
Oh, I, yeah. well, that's not a word for being unprofessional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, I I think we've all wanted to do this to somebody at some meeting we've had. Yes. <laughs> this is nightmare fuel for me. <laughs> yeah, for Move real. Move the meeting up an hour and then get a message saying you're late. Oh, mm-hmm. man. <laughs> I struggle when I'm working with a software provider or somebody that's in another time zone. Mm-hmm. And if they don't confirm what time zone they're in and what time zone I'm in, like, oh, it makes mm-hmm. me so nervous. So he's like, what the hell? Runs out of the boiler room, runs up to where he's supposed to meet people. They're all this board of directors is all laughing. And then Benny Hill plays and they all run around, find doors to hide behind, except for one <laughs> who he one chases down. Man. Jumps in front of the car, threatens to resign the whole deal. Yeah. Did you catch the voice on this guy, this board member? I know I looked it up, but I don't remember offhand. It's David Ogden Steers, who feels like he should have been in Babylon 5, but apparently never was. (laughs) I went through every member of the voice cast and and checked Mm -hmm. for Babylon 5, so... There were yeah. a couple people I was surprised that weren't, to be perfectly honest, and I believe yeah. this is one of them. Because we got a nice cameo with him, at least one, maybe two, in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. He was definitely in Next Generation. And, you know, of course, big MASH actor, great actor. I really mm-hmm. wanted him to have been a guest on Babylon 5. It is a damn shame he never was. But the next character we meet is our commander. Mm-hmm. Milo comes home. And finds a femme fatale, as we mentioned earlier, waiting for him. Very noir style. Yes. And it's Helga who informs Milo that her employer wants to meet with him. Yeah. I wonder who this could be. Yeah, we meet Mr. Whitmore, uh, who is a friend of Milo's grandfather, who we've had a little bit of lip service played to so far. He was an explorer type. Mm Mm-hmm. He kind of gave him the dream of Atlantis, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has a package for Milo from his grandfather from before he passed. And it's the journal Milo is looking for. Dun, dun, dun. I have a note here to think of a Marty Crane joke later. I did not. So I hope that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, Marty Crane, is. this is a great actor for this particular character, I think. Mm-hmm. This... This this guy, Mr. Whitmore, mm-hmm. we'll get to it, but he's so rich. Yeah. He's, he's like equivalency significantly wealthier than Jeff Bezos when you adjust <laughs> for inflation. Like, oh, man. I, I, I did some math and okay. we'll get to Do it. Do tell but us. <laughs> we'll, we'll get, when we get there, I, I, I get upset at some things in this movie. <laughs> there's a few things that you can get upset if you really choose (laughs) yeah but milo's not upset because hey it's only been 10 minutes into this movie and he's got the mcguffin already good for him milo's fervor sells mr whitmore who has already built everything and is financing the expedition to atlantis yeah he's all in he just needed somebody who could read the book basically he's picked everything he's done it's all done Uh, regardless of legality it's done (laughs) (laughs) Like you do when you're a billionaire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we briefly meet Cookie, who is Jim Varney. Uh, yes. Of course, famous for the movie Ernest Goes to a Space Station. <laughs> I don't know if that's a real Ernest movie, to be it perfectly be. honest. 
It should be. I just made it up. I just pulled it out of the ether. So if it's a real one, haha on me. But <laughs> yeah, no. D- did you watch the Ernest movies? I guess you probably didn't when you were a kid. No, but... no, nope. yeah. never seen a single one in my life. I remember enjoying the hell out of them as a child, but I do not. I could not tell you what a single Ernest movie is really about <laughs> other than Ernest. Like Ernest, the character is it, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, he was like a stand up comic and that was a character he did. And then it spun off into like 50 movies or something obscene. Yeah. Right. I, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. He has great facial expressions. I think that's part of what made Ernest so popular as a character. Like, yeah. and of course, you don't get that in this movie. You just get his, you know, voice talent, which is also very good. But mm-hmm. Ernest's facial expressions are are very delightful. So uh, everything's moving along, and they get in this this submarine. Uh-huh. Laura, Laura, this submarine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you, Do you know how big this submarine is? It seems excessive for their needs. <laughs> excessive for their needs is a bit of an understatement. So I did the math. So okay. it's like, okay, Milo about this tall. And then I paused and I put my mm. fingers up to the screen. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, if Milo's this tall, then the top of this sphere is this tall, right? And just yeah. like kind of work okay. my way with the glass. And I figured this thing is about 55 feet tall Okay. for a submarine. Mm-hmm. So when I take some more of my fingers up to the screen math with that 55 feet and a different frame uh-huh. and work it out. This submarine is 495 feet long. Mm. A football okay. field with both end zones is 360 feet. Yeah. That was my question was how, how does that translate to football fields? <laughs> this thing is longer than the TOS enterprise is wide. This thing okay. is bigger than an Ohio-class submarine, uh-huh. right? Which is a modern submarine that's fucking massive. Yeah. And to compare it to boats of the era, this is 12 U-boats roped together. <laughs> well, how did... Wait, this is an off-topic question, but how does Ohio get to be a submarine class? That is a landlocked state, my friend. <laughs> 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 couldn't tell you gonna have to google that one somebody drop it in the discord <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm. it's it's the biggest submarine that the united states has and it's the second largest submarine ever mm-hmm. there's the, for you, the russians have a slightly bigger one <laughs> yeah of course they do It's probably a little more out of date, though. Milo meets some of the crew here and they demonstrate how wacky and crazy everyone is. Uh Yep. Oh, boy. We see an old lady smoking in a submarine. Yeah. (laughs) What a delight. (laughs) I really, when I heard her voice, you know, another classic movie from around this time that did a lot better, I think, is The Mm -hmm. Emperor's New Groove. Mm -hmm. There's a, a waitress character in the emperor's new groove when there's a bunch of shenanigans taking place that it, she's an also old lady, probably smoking really wanted this to be the same voice actress looked it up. They are not the mm-hmm. same people. It was a damn shame. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we get a bit about the Leviathan here and I'm sure that's mm-hmm. going to be important in about 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> the they pace immediately is very fast. Find the shipwreck field. Mm-hmm. 
with ships of every era distinctly called out, which I appreciated because mm-hmm. there was a ton of random ass ships there. And it was a lot of fun. And I could have sit and froze frame and pointed out different ships. I dig shipwrecks. I've been <laughs> to shipwreck museums. Actually, uh, I'm going to rotate here for you. You, This does nothing for everyone who's watching. Yeah, but of course. In my office, I actually have a map of shipwrecks. Oh, nice. Right from off the coast of Nova Scotia. It's a St. Paul's Island where there's just been an obscene amount of shipwrecks because it's a really weirdly placed island before the mainland and a lot of people aren't expecting to find it. Yeah. And so there's yeah. like 20 lighthouses on this fucker and still <laughs> just... There's, there's literally over 60 shipwrecks on this map and it's not even like a third of them. There's just a... It happens all the time there. Yeah. So I could go on a bit about that, but I want to talk about two things here. First, how useless our captain is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they are under attack and the captain's orders are tell the chef to get some butter. I want to serve this thing for dinner uh, instead of anything useful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the second is how big this fucking sea creature is. Well, it's a robot. We find out. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, spoilers. So using my fingers up against the screen method. Mm-hmm. Very scientific. Yes. I came to the conclusion that this thing is 1,485 feet long. Hmm. Okay. And it's longer than it is wide, but it's very wide as well, especially up at its shoulders. It's several hundred feet wide. It's probably over right. a football field wide. But this, this, this length here, this is as long <laughs> as 16 and a half blue whales, which are the largest creature known, right? Mm-hmm. Right. A blue whale is the size of 40 elephants. This is 16 wow. and a half <laughs> of those. Yeah, yeah. If this were a skyscraper, if you were to plant it nose down, get it to stand straight up, it would be the 20th tallest building in the world. It is 200 feet taller than the Empire State Building. Hmm. And yet, even I know that we weren't like the sharpest bunch of knives in the drawer in 1914, but no one has documented this thing ever. <laughs> it's so big Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay yeah so much like ice cubes no vaseline big bang tank little bank here and the leviathan just outright destroys this submarine immediately which by the way adjusted for inflation i'm guessing is about three billion dollars yeah give or take (laughs) that's based off the cost of an ohio class class submarine Mm -hmm. by the way Uh, If you're wondering where I'm pulling that out of my ass from our search party gets in a much more reasonably sized submarine. Right. (laughs) And then they find the entrance to Atlantis. Yeah. A very long entrance as we're going to find out. Yes. But that's, I did more math, Laura. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) They got there in seven hours. Now we don't know exactly where Atlantis is in this movie but they did uh-huh. make a sequel and they do show Atlantis on a map. And <laughs> I figured out the distance. And this submarine was traveling at about 214 miles per hour. Oh, God. For reference, like, I don't know if you know anything about underwater travel. I'm going to assume at least one of our listeners doesn't. So I'll explain a little. That is very, very, very fast. 
underwater travel yeah. is very slow. The yeah. current underwater speed record for a manned vehicle is 114 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. So an extra 100 miles per hour <laughs> and and that modern vehicle significantly smaller the smaller you are the faster you can go oh, underwater yeah. there's a lot to do with drag there's a lot of pressure under there i don't i'm i'm not a physicist yeah. we know this on this podcast by now but there's <laughs> a lot of pressure underwater <laughs> yeah the current on top of water speed record is 317 miles per hour oh man that also. sounds just too wicked scary fast i do not want to be on, on that water boat. <laughs> no i don't want to be on that boat i want to be on a plane above that boat going faster and safer yeah same <laughs> <laughs> anyways we get a we get this montage of them traveling through the entrance here yeah <laughs> we have no idea how long it takes them they have winter at one point mm-hmm. there's yeah, snow in a cave the the imp- implication from this montage is that it is very long <laughs> like it takes them weeks? Oh, like a, a, a seasons to yeah. get there yeah okay i'm gonna i'm i promise i'm gonna focus on the plot now i think i think i might be done with math <laughs> maybe um i think i gave up after this point yeah yeah you can't apply too much logic to this kind of mm-hmm. movie as they travel, we see various cave people observing them as they mm-hmm. destroy countless cultural artifacts like, well, the British in 1914. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's at least very, very accurate to that part of the time period, right? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> we get some backstories, TM, before the literal fireflies burn the camp down. Yeah, we get to learn a little bit about everybody except creepy mole guy, whose story yeah. is apparently too bad. We just can't. We can't put that out on a Disney movie. He is the top listed actor on IMDb. Is he? The guy who plays the mole. He has hundreds upon hundreds of credits. I can't even remember his name at this moment. Me either. <laughs> I know it wasn't well, Babylon he's 5. he's got a lot of work. I checked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I also checked for She-Ra because that's an animated project that JMS was active on. Oh, yeah, on. of course. Um, sure. So I figured that might be a nice little time. Nope. Didn't see that either. But uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. The bridge gets destroyed. The last bridge they have to cross here. Well, the second to last bridge they have to cross here. Right. Um, right. As we find out, they lose about a third, half maybe the vehicles. And then mm-hmm. uh, the uh, cave natives, heal Milo as our party finds Atlantis. Uh, we find yeah. that these cave people were, of course, Atlanteans who Milo tries to converse with, and it starts off slow, but he kind of gets the hang of saying the words out loud after Mm -hmm. a minute. It's one of those things when you've just read it and you don't know how to say it. (laughs) Yeah. I learned by reading. Sorry that I'm pronouncing those words wrong. Yeah. We've all done that with English words where we always just read it and it was one way in our heads and then it came out Mm -hmm. and that's not how it is. (laughs) Not, Not how it sounds at all. Yeah. It's too bad. After this, we get a little bit with the king and the princess. We find out they're like almost effectively immortal. Yeah, this is not explained at all. I guess it's something to do with the crystal. (laughs) Yeah, the crystal keeps them alive. We find out they're like 8,500 some years old, Mm -hmm. which means that Plato's account of them 
given the time frame is was in 650 BC so 2000 so yeah it's like 6000 years old when Plato accounts for them oh which good grief <laughs> yeah yeah that it's, sounds miserable it's a lot of time it's a lot of time to spend with the same thousand people in a cave oh my god <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing it now can you picture it <laughs> no uh, no nope 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 no, I can't. no, thank you. I would rather have a little finite time. Thanks. Yeah. Anyways, the king allows them to spend one night there. And then uh, Milo is tasked with talking to Kita. And uh, he finds out her age and is just confounded. Guess what? You are a G-Milf. That is a grandmother that I would like to. Gris. We find out the Atlanteans have lost the ability to read their own language. Interesting for people that have been effectively immortal for 8,000 years-ish, we I stopped reading. to wonder here. Uh-huh. I think that this is actually, there's, there's a little bit more going on here than we are told with this. Sure, okay. We only know that the king and the princess are very old. We don't know if this mm, longevity okay. extends to everyone who is there. Yeah. And the king, knowing the disaster that their technology and his decisions caused, mm-hmm. might have made an active choice to remove language from the public school curriculum. <sighs> yeah. Oh, no. That's the only thing that makes sense to me, is that no one is still around from the old time where they would have someone who remembered to read except for mm-hmm. these two people. Kita, theoretically too young to have learned, never taught Impossibly, by the king. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially if your people are immortal, you might not prioritize reading in the first six to eight years of life. I don't know how old she is when we first see her. Yeah, She looks sure. about that young. And also, yeah. we don't know how their aging works because it's so extended. Their brain development might be really funky. So, who knows? Yeah. She could have been 400, but effectively in the mind of a three-year-old. Yeah. We, we, we just don't know. But there had to have been either no survivors of that could read for whatever reason, which means that besides being technologically advanced, they were incredibly oppressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but that also doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because you wouldn't have language everywhere for people. You wouldn't have road yeah. signs if no one, if, if as a culture, you didn't read. Right. So, I don't know. There's a handful of things. It just doesn't seem right with me. I think this is this was a decision that was made to uh-huh. not have written language, much more so than a, oops, we all forgot how to read. Yes. it's It's got to be deliberate at that point, right? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you lose all the books when you're underwater. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they all got <laughs> waterlogged. They were, yeah. they were in the wrong boat. Yeah. So, also... We, We've seen Helga and Rourke talking a little bit in the background mm-hmm. before we get Milo and Princess Kita talking to each other. That kind of gives us a, a bad feel. That yeah, maybe they've got a bunch of dudes isn't... with gas masks on for some reason. Uh-huh. It's, it's not a good look. They, they look very German soldiery, World uh-huh. War One era, and it's not a good feeling. It shouldn't uh-huh. be very convenient. <laughs> <laughs> so uh milo mansplains a shark motorcycle thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> and also tries to whiten up her name typical 
Like you've been studying this language your whole life and she throws five syllables at you and you're like, that's too many. Fuck you, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Weird as hell. Kita takes Milo for a swim so he can translate what turns out to be a written history of the city Mm -hmm. while the party shows their true colors. All any of them care about is money and they're Mm going to take the heart of Atlantis. Yep. (laughs) And at this point, I'm kind of wondering, and maybe it's clearer to you, was this Mr. Whitmore's plan or is this just their plan? Well, knowing that Mr. Whitmore is so obscenely rich that he Mm -hmm. makes Bill Gates look like a pauper. Yeah, I think it's totally his plan because you do not get to be that wealthy without exploitation Mm -hmm. at a very basic day-to-day level, minute by minute. So I think the other like plot point that speaks to that is that Milo was totally blindsided by Mr. Whitmore. Never had heard of him. Never had heard of them. They're supposed to be, you know, they were the bestest of friends. And he sees pictures of his grandfather with Mr. Whitmore. Mm-hmm. He's got evidence. He's got the proof. But Milo hadn't heard of him. So perhaps there was a falling out for some reason. I would definitely think there is. And I think we hear that reason. Because even the uh, the captain says, I wish you weren't such an idealist like your grandfather. Yeah, yeah. So. Did the captain yeah. say if he was on the... First expedition that Thaddeus went on? There, I don't, I believe so. They all knew him. Most of them knew him, at least. There was some kind of low-key hinting that these people might have been responsible for his grandfather's death, even. Yeah. Uh, They don't come out and say it, (laughs) but it's kind of hinted at here and there when they talk about, like, the last mission with him and stuff. It's kind of shady. So I would not be shocked to find out that was the case or if that's a deleted scene I didn't watch or something. Yeah, there's a lot of beats going on in this movie. I'm assuming Atlantis fans call them Atlanteans. So if you're if you're a hardcore Atlantean, get in our discord and tell me all the stuff I didn't bother to read on the Internet. (laughs) This is your moment. Now's your time. You've been waiting 20 years (laughs) to talk more (laughs) about this movie. It's time. Uh, they run into the king's chamber, threats thrown around, uh, yeah. and then they find the crystal chamber. The captain solves the very rudimentary riddle. Yeah, this is not a riddle, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is a riddle if you're eight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and the uh, the crystal possesses slash abducts Kida. Yeah. And uh, she kind of becomes this ghost thing there is no dana there is only zoom yeah i'm not clear why this this very powerful crystal that possesses this woman just decides to go with everybody who's the bad guys (laughs) right she's clearly incredibly powerful at this point and she's just all like oh Uh you want me to get in this iron coffin thing sure jumping in Yeah, why why do we want to go with these people? Is the crystal just done with Atlantis? This thing is also insane. Yeah. How do you have this thing hanging out? <laughs> How did Milo never notice this thing? Like they've been losing supplies left and right, like yeah. throughout the whole thing. And, you know, we've been having to presumably move things from vehicle to vehicle. Like 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the giant barrel thing that the hot air balloon comes out of at least is like in the first couple of scenes. Yeah. Okay. We see both the model of the hot air balloon next to the submarine in the very beginning. And then we also have when they're loading everything into the giant submarine, we see the giant barrel thing because I saw that and was just all like, is that beer for the trip? What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> well, we had a ton of people. We need a lot of beer. Yeah. But this thing kind of comes out of nowhere. Milo gives everyone the shit they deserve. Mm-hmm. And a handful of them finally decide to cave a little as the captain and commander leave behind and they destroy the rope bridge on their way to the caves. If Michael J. Fox gives me this rousing, you're all shit for doing this speech. I'm probably feeling pretty bad. He's very good at this. He is just like in our next scene, Leonard Nimoy is very good at giving a bunch of exposition right before he dies. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think he got that from Star Trek? I think he's all like, you know what I would have changed in that scene with the tube. I think I would have (laughs) told, Kirk that he needed to take McCoy to Vulcan for the thing. Like that's (laughs) the one thing I would have changed. So I'm going to correct that this time and just go tell Milo. He's got to go full on white savior and save the Atlantean Mm -hmm. people. Yes. (laughs) Uh, He gets a bunch of their old ships and a bunch of appropriately aged warrior people from Atlantis. In addition to the crew who has decided to stay behind to help. And they get on all of these old vehicles that can fly and chase down the captain. These things are fun. I love Mm -hmm. how we've got different types of fish and, you know, sea creatures and stuff. Yeah, because Atlantis, it's in the water. (laughs) And we got to show off all this, you know, pseudo CGI we're doing. It's it's great. Yeah. (laughs) And we they chase them till we get to the big climatic battle where for some reason nobody tries to puncture this balloon until Claudia yeah. Christian gets betrayed. This is mind blowing to me. It's a hot air balloon. These things are famous for going just blowing up, right? Yeah. It's and the it's main like, vulnerability. You've got <laughs> lightning beams, you've got guns, there's all kinds mm-hmm. of fire, there's dynamite going off, there's all kinds of explosions and no one thought to just aim it a little up. Yeah, it's a giant hot air balloon that's weirdly dick shaped. Just gonna (laughs) Disney, you got a problem. I mean, it it tracks with history, I think. (laughs) (laughs) It was the inspiration for Blue Ocean this whole time. We had no idea. Yeah, that that was Jeff Bezos, a spaceship, right? Blue something. I don't remember. Blue. blue, Yeah, it's It's not. It's not worth remembering. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, I I love that Claudia Christian is like the most competent character in this sh- <laughs> by leagues. <laughs> Again, typecasting. I think that she is also one of the, arguably the most competent on Babylon 5. I think oh, that, that sure. is an, a defensible position and mm-hmm. again, <laughs> she's been typecast in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure she's the most, like, who would even stand a chance? Not Garibaldi, uh-huh. can cross him right off first. Franklin <laughs> is very smart, but makes some very dumb decisions continuously, especially with where we're at in the story. Yeah, he's classic smart person that doesn't have the sense. Yeah, right, got it. Sheridan is all bravado, just pure 
bravado. Yes. Uh, and Sinclair? Sinclair was competent. Uh-huh. Delenn makes a bunch of mistakes, though. Yeah. Jakart, yeah. not really. Londo, mm-hmm. for sure, no. <laughs> no, um, no. <laughs> definitely not Veer. Maybe you maybe. could argue for... Yeah, for maybe the assistance and that they stay maybe out of the Lanier. way of a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Lanier is more competent, <laughs> but his scope of duties is very different, so it's hard to say. Yeah, yeah. Can't compare that apple to that orange, for sure. Yeah. Anyways, we got a little bit of lip service when they were in the volcano the first time about how they had nothing to worry about as far as it erupting unless there was a very large explosion, mm-hmm. which we mm. have to suddenly remember when the giant hydrogen balloon explodes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Known for causing large explosions, indeed. Famous for even. Oh, the humanity. Okay, the volcano starts to erupt. Yep. And our heroes return to the city with the princess just in time for her to summon the iron giant to save the day. <laughs> I know that just listening to that clip is going to make someone who listens to this podcast cry. And I'm almost sorry about it. I wish I was sorry about it, but I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I almost cried finding it and calling it out to be placed right there. So you're not alone. But yeah, after this, the city is saved. Uh, All the robots form this giant wall like we saw in the very beginning of the scene when the city was subsumed by water in the first place. Kita returns with her mother's necklace as the, the group gets ready to leave. Milo decides to stay behind to teach these people their written language. And the party returns to Mr. Whitmore, who they're all like super wealthy now. And they're like, oh, yeah, we didn't find anything. Nothing happened as they load up all this gold and stuff from Atlantis. But Milo gives him a crystal so that he can live forever. This is a bad idea. He's the point zero, 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 one percent. Milo, eat the rich. Come on. Yeah, that makes you wonder because I know there is a sequel to this movie. Is Whitmore back? <laughs> I I know nothing about the sequel besides they have a map yeah. that shows us where Atlantis is, and the plot of it is Milo returning to Atlantis. Which, given he doesn't leave at the end of this one, I got nothing. I have not looked up the sequel to this movie. Maybe someday, not today. <laughs> you will get me to watch it before Chud too. <laughs> <laughs> Battlestar movie break, Atlantis 2. <laughs> <laughs> we get Milo and Kita adding a statue of her dad to the rest of the former kings, uh, which given it seems like the women are the ones who always save the society, yeah. weird choice, maybe a statue yeah. of your mom. Hey. <laughs> but hey, it's it's Leonard Nimoy, so I mean, I guess I get it. Yeah, I mean, he is pretty great. I, all pretty right, great it's guy, fine. Yeah. This time. Um, <laughs> They climb up a thing holding hands because his decision to stay here and live forever after knowing her for less than 24 hours is totally sound. (laughs) Not weird at all. Very Disney. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jafar, what did you think of this movie? I think this movie made me too angry and I was doing math, Uh, but it wasn't (laughs) besides the, the utter ridiculousness of the spectacle. There were definitely worse ways to spend three hours, including pause and note time, which is what it took me to get through this thing. Right. Of course. But 
Yeah. It might have been better if I had not been stopping all the time to walk up to my TV and put my fingers up against the screen and go, okay, this, 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 this. It might have been better if I didn't spend time adjusting for inflation on dollar values. (laughs) Those I will accept the onus of my opinion for. So it's hard to say. It was fun. I mean, as far as Disney movies go, I don't particularly think any of them are that good. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it for a lot of people. And if you enjoy Disney, I'm not yucking your yums here. I just think in my personal experience, I feel a lot of that enjoyment is nostalgia, which is something that's cool and fun to enjoy. Like straight up. I, yesterday I was talking to three of my former friends and we're going to go back to one of their parents' basements and play video games. Like we used to do in high school all the time. Yeah. And get a nostalgia high. Like <laughs> even though it's been mm-hmm. well over 20 years, <laughs> so like i'm not yucking nostalgia like if it's there for you and you enjoy it enjoy it i just don't have any of those feelings i can only see this through the eyes of my 30 something year old self and not the eyes of a child which would probably be a much more enjoyable film yeah i think that for me this movie was you know i did see it when i was younger i just don't remember how young i don't remember exactly when I saw it, but it kind of got to that point where storytelling was doing this thing where we were telling things very fast and you do have to be able to suspend a lot of disbelief in order to watch this as an adult. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to keep up with all the, the points and beats in it. If you look away for a second, it's like, wait, what happened now? Where, how are we here? You know? (laughs) Yeah. This plot moves. They, they, yeah. and they got a lot to do. There's a lot of montages. We're gonna need a montage. Yeah, yeah. And that's not my favorite kind of story, maybe because I just, I'm my brain doesn't keep up with it very well. So I like something I can follow. And I sometimes I need a little time to process. I was that kid that when I was watching movies with my dad, I would ask him like, wait, who is this? What's happening? And he gets so <laughs> mad because he's like, just watch the movie. But I couldn't follow stuff. And I, I definitely felt that sort of feeling with this movie. So I'm like, I guess I can kind of see that critic <laughs> critic rating that you talked about on Rotten Tomatoes. So, yeah, but it's a fun time. Yeah, there some of the some of the reviews were very unkind. Yeah, I could see that. It's very pretty. I mean, the animation yeah. is really nice. The yeah. that that straddle between that traditional animation and now we're adding some more CGI things. That was pretty cool at the time. Which is referenced in one of the reviews, which I'm paraphrasing a little bit because I didn't write it down. But it said something along the lines of, this is what happens when you have art where you master craft without dream, Mm. which is brutal. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, there's no purpose or anything. It's just pretty for the sake of being pretty, but it doesn't mean anything. Perhaps the studio was focused on you know, technology and how pretty can we make it? And they <laughs> ignored some like foundational points of storytelling. Yeah, That's how I interpret that review. <laughs> and I mean, this is, you know, kind of a foray into CGI for Disney before they bought Pixar. Uh-huh. Yep. So that's a whole thing too, is Pixar just came in and filled that niche very quickly. Yeah, shortly after well. this. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, next week we're going to get back to it. Yeah, we got Babylon 5, Season 3, Episode 12, Sick Transit Veer. 
I'm excited. Uh, Veer causes controversy by aiding the Narn without authorization. He also mm-hmm. meets his fiance for the first time. Oh no! And uh, Sheridan has a romantic dinner with Delenn. Aw, this just sounds like a delight all around. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I will note here, by the way, since this is the end of HBO Max. As we're recording this, it's off the air in a couple of days. The Babylon 5 Indeed. will be taken down. But I did have time to check, and the HBO Max descriptions and the Voodoo descriptions are exactly the same. I went back and checked like 10 episodes. Every single okay. one of them, exactly the same. So I don't know if you checked on iTunes or figured out how you're going to continue watching the show at this I, point. I am going to continue on iTunes. I have not checked to see if the descriptions are different, but that'll be a fun comparison we can do. <laughs> Yes, assuming that they're also not the same, which they might be. We'll find out. They could be, yeah. I guess next week when we talk about season three, episode 13's preview, we'll find out then. Looking forward to it. But until then, let's go ahead and say thank you to Jeremy Siegel for our lovely theme music. Thank you, Jeremy. You can find more of his work at jeremysiegel42.bandcamp.com. And thank you to Angry Duck Time Machine on Instagram for our podcast artwork. And go ahead and hit us up on our Discord, social media, that stuff. We're on Facebook and Twitter, and by on Twitter, I mean I open it once a week to see mentions from other Babylon 5 podcasts and communicate with the League of Non-Aligned Podcasts, but besides that, Twitter is dead to me. Uh, (laughs) But our Facebook is around. Uh, We don't Mm -hmm. do a lot there, but if you shoot us a message on there, we'll for sure get back to you. Where we're mostly active is our Discord, uh, where there's usually a conversation going and people are hanging out and talking about Babylon 5 and other stuff, and it's a great time. Mm Mm-hmm. Very cool people. Wonderful people. And thanks, Aaron, for editing our podcast. We appreciate you. (laughs) We really do. All right. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.